You're listening to the TNT Effect, the Athletes Podcast. This is the podcast where athletes discuss their journey and sports professionals talk about how they support these athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Tierra Roll. Let's get into today's episode. Today I have with me professional basketball player Joshua Young. And so welcome, Joshua. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. So I don't know much about you. And so I, I want to dig in and start with your background. At what age did you start playing basketball? Oh man. Uh so I mean I was always playing the game. Um, but I remember I started playing competitively when I was in the fourth grade. So I was nine years old. Um, and I think my sisters had played even before that. And so I was kind of like itching to get to play by time I, I got to be that old. But I started playing when I was nine. And I think I've been playing almost year round ever since. Year round. Okay, so I, I want to get into that a little bit as far as like playing year round, because there's a lot of talk around um, specializing in one sport, right? Right. Um, so where are you from? Okay, so I was born in Shawnee, Oklahoma, a small town uh, outside of Oklahoma City. I grew up, though, uh, most of my life in Lawton, Oklahoma, which is about an hour and a half south of Oklahoma City. Military town, Lawton, Fort Sill. Uh, so I had a lot of military friends growing up. I wasn't a military ch- child. Um, so I grew up there in Lawton. Uh, I'm from Oklahoma, and that's where I go back in the summer times. I'm usually find myself in Oklahoma City. Yeah, you could have told me anywhere. I would be like, yeah, okay. I don't really know anything <laughs> outside of uh, Tulsa and what is it, o- uh, Oklahoma City. It's not something that I'm really familiar with. And it, it's it's normal. I mean, my sister actually lives in Tulsa. My brother went to Oral Roberts. Uh, okay. So most people are familiar with those places. Um, but Lawton is, Lawton's actually, it was the third biggest city when I was growing up. I think it's bumped down maybe to the fourth or fifth now, but if you're not in the military, you probably would have never heard of it. So that that makes sense. So in that small town, you started playing basketball when you were in the fourth grade. How did you get involved in it? What made you decide that basketball is the sport I want to start playing? Yeah, well, I think like most kids, I had an interest in the game because my dad was actually a head coach. Um, both my parents, very athletic, um, but my dad was coaching basketball when I was a kid so when I was coming up in like kindergarten first second grade uh, he was coaching at the school that I went to so I would after school I would go to the gym and just sit there and wait for him watch their practices and so I was kind of like a gym rat by default you know as a as a little kid Um, and because of that I picked up the ball I'd be shooting around dribbling you know I was just really close to the game Um, and then I developed like a kind of a love for it a passion for it uh, so when it was my my turn to be able to decide what I wanted to do, naturally, that was one of the first sports that I picked to play. So you didn't feel like you were being pressured to play. It was a passion of yours and you you had a desire and a motivation to play. You didn't have to um, your parents didn't have to force you into it. No, no. I And, and I was um, I had kind of understood early that I had a talent there. Um, I was just an athletic kid, you know, I ran track and uh, played baseball and did football and basketball. And so I knew that I had an athletic gene. And, you know, when you meet up with like your grandparents and all your uncles and aunts and they talk about, you know, the athleticism in the family, um, I knew that that was there, but I really just enjoyed playing uh, when I was when 
when I was young. And so that was the reason I did it. It's really just because it was fun and not really any other reason. It wasn't until later on I started to develop a sense of, hey, this might be something I want to do uh, after after high school and, and maybe even long term. So did you get to the point where you transitioned to just playing one sport or did you pretty much play multiple sports throughout middle school, high school? I did. Um, I didn't get to that point. So I think maybe after my freshman year of high school. Okay. So like I said, I dabbled in football. Uh, I played baseball. Baseball, I love baseball. Um, it was actually probably the sport I would have pursued had I not played basketball. Um, and then I was playing basketball and I was running track year round too. Um, but I think once I got to my freshman year, I really decided that I just wanted to focus all my energy into basketball because I was really talented there and I could really see a future there. Um, and so at that point, that's when I made the goal like, hey, I want to play college basketball. And so let me specialize. Let me really focus all of my energy. there. The only thing that I did continue to do was run track. And that was just kind of to stay in shape. It wasn't conflicting, you know, with the basketball season or, or with basketball at all. Um, it wasn't really something that was uh, putting me at risk to, to get injured either, you know. Uh, and so I did continue to to run track, but I basically specialized at that point. What college did you go to? So I attended Drake University, which is in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, <laughs> Midwestern Oklahoma, or not Oklahoma, Midwestern USA. Um, and it was great, honestly. Uh, I never heard of Drake before. Uh, people used to ask me if I played for Drake the rapper all the time. Like it wasn't, an, it wasn't a school that was notable. Um, but I went there on a visit. They had a, a legendary coach at the time. It was just, it felt like the right place for me academically. Um, Who was the coach? His name was Tom Davis. So he had coached at Stanford and Boston College and he coached at Iowa and taken them to like the Final Four. And my dad knew him because my dad is just a huge basketball fan. Um, and so I was able to play for him actually only for one year. He was my coach my freshman year and then he turned over the reins to his son my sophomore year. Was the transition from high school to college difficult for you academically as well as athletically? I think academically it was uh, pretty similar. I went to like a, my, my high school was like a college prep. I went to a private school. Um, and so it was a little more challenging, I think, than some of the other schools that were in the area. Um, and my parents were both educators, so they were really on top of me about, you know, hit the books, study, it's very important. Um, so I actually never, I never had like a B in junior high, high school ever. And then when I got to college, I took like a, a sociology class and I had my first B and I remember thinking like, this wasn't that bad. I might as well just let it go. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, uh, academically it's pretty easy and athletically, I, I was so determined to, um, you know, show merit and show my value to the team. I worked ridiculous. Like I was in the gym all summer, eight hours a day, which I wouldn't even recommend to anyone these days. Um, just, you know, putting in time and working on my craft. Uh, but I think the biggest transition was the physicality of the game. Um, defensively, I was lazy because I was the best player in high school. And usually, typically you don't have to play defense and I didn't at all. Um, and so having to like sit down and play against guys that were just as athletic, more athletic, quicker, faster, uh, that was a big adjustment moving to college. Right. And then when it comes to being able to manage your studies versus your athletic schedule, how did you um, work around that and, and successfully navigate school and sports? Yeah, I, I think it just came down to priorities. 
you know, I, I really understood that uh, for some of the classes I took, if I didn't take the time out to study, uh, to even get a tutor, which I had to do a couple times because uh, some, some of my studies just didn't come very natural to me or it was a little more difficult to understand at first. Uh, and I knew if I didn't do those things that I wasn't going to be able to play. And everything for me came back to like, hey, you have to be able to play. There's no ineligible that's not in your vocabulary. My parents aren't going to accept it. And also I knew that I was a bright kid and so I needed to live up to that, you know. Um, but I definitely had the right priorities of study first. And, and actually my coach was like that, you know, hit the books. He was always telling us that we needed to get our grades. They made us sit in the front of every class. It was no mandatory. Class. Our assistant coaches would come by and look in the window to see where we were sitting. Um, and so I think all of those things really cultivated um, this culture of, of making sure that we were hitting the books and, and getting our academics done. Now, fast forwarding to your finishing school and deciding to go pro, did you have a desire to go into the NBA or were you just like, OK, I'm just going to shoot for overseas? Yeah. So when I was coming out of uh, college, the overseas thing was, in fact, there, but you didn't really know much. About it. it was so foreign to me. Like I knew a couple of people that had done it. You know, maybe they told me a couple stories, but maybe they were only playing in two countries. I didn't know what other countries looked like, uh, you know, what the protocol was. Any, I didn't know anything, really. I was just kind of in the dark about all of it. And I think at that time, every kid's dream was like the NBA, you know. Um, so it was for me. During my college time, I had scouts that had come to Drake to watch me practice. You know, they'd come to watch our games. And so I knew it was a possibility for me had some NBA workouts after college. Um, but I think the reality kind of started to set in um, in the summer after my senior year that maybe that's not going to be realized, not this summer at least. Um, and start, So I started to look at other options. And um, I actually was drafted into the G League. So uh, I went there, was there for maybe a month, ended up getting cut. So I, I had my- If you don't Austin. mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got drafted to Austin. I had worked out for the Tulsa team, Tulsa 66ers. The Iowa Energy thought they had my rights because I went to school there in close proximity. Um, and then Austin came out of nowhere. I didn't talk to anybody from there. I didn't know they wanted me, nothing. They just drafted me. Uh, and then I went down there and that was a unique situation. Um, and, and I didn't come out of it, but I think that um, the things that don't work for us work on us. And so it was one of those type of situations. And then I found myself and my agent looking for opportunities overseas. Getting back to the overseas in just a second. So you just mentioned your agent. How did you mm -hmm. um, connect with your agent? Yeah, so um, I had a decent career in college. Uh, I left Drake as the all-time leading scorer. And so I would say, man, end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year, my Facebook message inbox just started to really become flooded with agents that were trying to uh, to talk to me and and I was such a by the book like direct no the NCAA says I can't talk to you I was I was literally writing people back like I'll talk to you in a, a year and a half when I graduate that's how I was telling people <laughs> and uh, so I just had a lot of choices and then when my season finally ended my senior year I went back through all those messages uh, I found maybe 10 people that I 
I, I felt like these are people that I would like to explore further with, got on the phone with them, did it like a vetting process really. Uh, and then maybe from five of those, I had them fly out to my college, meet my coaches, myself. Um, and then I talked to the people around me and just had like a, really like a multitude of counsel type of uh, situation. And then I ended up uh, choosing my agent from that. And so I know it's a big topic for players now, like how do I find an agent? You know, what's the process to do that? For me, it was one of those things where I really had agents come to me asking me like, can I be your agent? I think for guys who, who perform um, really well in college, it's usually the situation, but there are a lot of guys out there now who don't have that access, not because they're not good players, it's just because I think this, the market is so saturated. But for me, it was I was really blessed to have it work that way in my favor. So now you are in Germany, and please say the name of your team because I do not want to butcher it. <laughs> so the name is Rasta, and it's Festa. So the V sounds more like an F. It's like a soft F. It's Festa, Rasta Festa. Do you speak German at all? Of course. Of course. Okay, you've I been do. there long enough. Well, how long have you been there? This is my 11th season. Okay, so you've so, learned something. <laughs> I've learned some. I learned enough German to do all of my interviews in German. Nice, nice. Okay. So the team that you play for now, um, are you guys currently playing or is COVID kind of putting things on hold? No, um, it's not. Actually, we are still playing. Um, we're playing once, twice, sometimes three times a week. It just depends. They push back the start of the season. And I actually don't know how long it's supposed to run, if, if I'm being honest. I don't know. But um, I know that they're not trying to stop playing. You know, for, <laughs> for them, the industry is, unfortunately, it's a business. And it's all about money, about sponsorships. It's all about, you know, being able to retain uh, contracts that they've made with TV rights and things like that. So uh, that's really the focus of the league is to make sure that they uphold that. And then, um, so we've just been having these glorified practices is what I call them with no fans and we're wearing jerseys and, <laughs> and have little LEDs and the cardboard fans. And, um, so it's, it's been an interesting year. And how's the style of play, um, compared to playing ball here in the U S yeah, you know, it's different. I can tell you that it's much different. I think, um, European basketball is much more team orientated. Um, it's uh, from the professional side, right? The NBA has like defensive three seconds. So there's nobody in the paint. There's so much space on the court that really, it's really a game of one-on-one. -on -one. If you beat your man in the NBA, you have a really good chance of scoring. That's why people like Luka Doncic is like, hey, it's easier for me to score in the NBA than it is in Europe. Because in Europe, you might get by the first guy and then the next guy's coming and then the third help. And then you swing it, the rotation. A lot of aggressive team defense um, is how they play here. And then offensively, it's just like being a, a piece to a puzzle. You've got to find your niche and you've got to find where you fit in. Um, and, and guys make really good careers from just um, really maximizing their role on teams. So that defense you did not play back in um, high school, you had to come back and play. <laughs> full circle for me in a really big way because the coach I played for the last couple of years, defense, defense, and not, not just defense, aggressive defense, full court defense, on the ball, on the sideline, like every, everything. Um, and so, yeah, I ended, up, I ended up paying back what I didn't uh, get when I was in high school for sure. 
I know, right? So what what were some of the biggest challenges you faced um, in your career this far? Injury, 100%. Um, I got injured in 2015 and I went up for like a pass. I came down kind of straight legged and then I just felt something, you know, in my knee. And I, was, I didn't actually think that it was something super serious. Um, I went to the doctor and they told me, yeah, a few days, you'll be all right. And then came back a few days, I was practicing, my knee would like just swell up just after running. And um, it ended up being a cartilage problem, right? So cartilage is something like I didn't have it yesterday and I have it today. You know, it's really this, this wear and tear that happens over the years. Um, and so I, I don't know, whatever I did in that, in that movement, in that motion, uh, allowed me to feel whatever had been there, which was really a defect. Um, and so I remember they called me into a meeting. My coach called me into a meeting and I thought it was just me and him. And when I walked into the room, the owner was in there, the GM was in there, all the team doctors were in there, the physios were in there, the assistant coach. I was like, this is, this is serious, you know? And um, they just told me that you have this defect in your knee from cartilage. It's really bad. Um, your choices are get surgery and maybe have a chance to play basketball again and probably not professionally, but more like rec basketball where you cannot have surgery and you have no chance to ever play ball again. Um, and I, that was, I mean, you could imagine that's pretty devastating news to get when you, your whole life has been this sport. And um, so I would say that was the biggest challenge, but uh, as you can see, it's not 2015, it's 2021 and I'm still playing basketball. <laughs> Uh, so I was able to, to come back from that, took a lot of resiliency and, and uh, I had a great support system and God definitely favored me. I was blessed to be able to still play. Yeah. So it sounds like you tore your meniscus. Is that accurate? Uh, I didn't actually tear the meniscus. I had, I had like the defect of my cartilage on the weight bearing side. So, and what they did was they did an oats procedure. So they actually took cartilage from the non-weight bearing side of my knee that was good cartilage and they swapped it out on this defective side and grafted it together. Um, and then it was just like, hey, it's like a wait and see type of game. See how your body responds, see how your knee responds. And I haven't had problems with it since. So it, um, yeah, very fortunate to have been able to come back. I sat out an entire year from the time that I had that surgery to the time that I played my next game was over a full year. Yeah, yeah, you did say um, something that was already there. So, yeah, so it was, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back with that particular yeah. um, landing. Yeah, whatever it was. It was, yeah, tough, but um, comeback story. And everyone always likes a good comeback story. Well, I want to um, dive a little bit deeper into like the recovery process. So how was that process for you and also the staff, the medical staff that, that helped you with that? And, um, you know, was it, similar to you know the staff back here in the US and did you have any injuries while while you were in college whether they were minor or major yeah just tell us a little bit about yeah. that. so I, I did have an injury in college it was a it was an ankle sprain and it was the type of ankle sprain that the doctors like it probably would have been better if you would have just broke it completely so it could have just healed up uh nice um and it was really difficult because I told you I'd never even heard of Drake, neither had anyone in the world, apparently. Um, but my sophomore year was one of those years that everything clicked for us. So we went from being picked ninth in our conference 
to being the 14th best team in the country. So we were a top 25 team. We were going on this crazy run. And it was in the middle of that run that I got injured, which was, which was devastating again for me. Um, but it was one of those things that it, it just taught me how to fight. It taught me, you know, how to be patient, how to do everything you can do for a situation. So even though it was small, I had been in, in this, a similar type of situation, but even more kind of dire because of how we were playing. And, and I was a big part of that team. I was leading the conference and scoring as a sophomore. Um, and so it was, it was something that uh, came full circle for me when this happened with my knee. And to your question about the, the staff, um, I would say they're a little bit different. Um, normally what happens when you get injured like that on a team is the team has the right to just let you go, you know, go home, take care of, you know, get, get your doctors together, be by your family. Um, but when I was in that meeting, I remember my coach leaned over to me and said, whatever you want to do, we're going to support you. If you want to stay here for the rest of the season, you, we're going to make sure you get to stay here. No cost. You keep your apartment, car, everything. And I, and I did that. And um, they put me in a facility where I was going. I had the surgery and then I was in this facility seven, eight hours a day every day, five days a week for a couple months. Um, and they just did everything from muscle training, lymph drainage, I uh, had pool workouts. Um, they call it gymnastics here in, in German. I mean, I don't even know what you call it in English. Um, just a, like a real, a full day schedule of rehab, you know? And that really accelerated my, my healing and the rehab process. And when I came out of that, I was actually already walking. And I remember the day they told me to come in without my crutches. I was like, hey, I don't think I can walk without my crutches, bro. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, I just did it. You know, they're like, it's part of the process. You're going to have to do this now. And then I did it. Um, and so I really just trusted them. But I was really, I was really thankful and grateful for that. Uh, because one, they didn't have to do it. They went above um, what my insurance normally pays and paid on top of it so I could get like this state-of-the-art uh, rehab center to go to. Uh, and so it was really, it was really just a blessing like in disguise. And maybe my body needed some time. Like I said, I've been playing year round for years. Um, and so I was really able to just kind of chill, sit back, enjoy life. I was still working daily on like my body and in the recovery process, but because I didn't have a team, I got to stay home and my sister got married. So the only reason that I went to my sister's wedding is because I got injured the year before and she got married that November of the next year. So wow. everything ends up working out um, for good. But a lot of times it's tough to see it at the beginning. And sometimes we don't even get to see it at the end. But in this case, uh, I was able to see a lot of, of good that came out of it. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you were in rehab or going to the facility like a full-time job. I even had a lunch break. <laughs> I'm serious. And when I tell you that lunch was the best lunch I had in maybe all of Germany, they had like a gourmet chef that they hired for. He came and cooked lunch and it was amazing. Every day it was like, hey, what is, what's my man making today? Because what he made yesterday was crazy. What part of Germany are you in? <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. It's a little bitty small town no one ever heard of. And uh, I had gotten along with like all the elderly people that were there. They were like, you're going to love lunch. And I was thinking like, yeah, you know, 
y'all have different taste buds it's not really gonna be like right but it actually turned out to be like that I was was a big fan so the process from starting rehab to returning back to your sport fully healthy what was that time frame uh a year yeah so a little little over a year I started playing again in January of 2017 and I had that surgery December 10th 2015 and then I started the rehab that January so a little over a year now you worked on the physical uh what were you doing for the mental side yeah um I think at the time I wasn't super intentional about the mental side um and I and I think because you know, I think when you grow up as an athlete, especially because I played, my dad was my high school coach. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, and he was really just one of those toughing it out type of people, you know, like, <laughs> like, old, uh, school, like old school, right? Old school, like, hey, I, my ankle's broken. He like wrap it up like that type of thing, you know? Um, and so I kind of carried that mentality, but I knew that there was something that I had to get through mentally you know I, I wasn't oblivious to that fact and so um I just tapped in with people that I knew could encourage me and like lift my spirit and I talked a lot to my family and my mother and you know I, I just surrounded myself with that type of love because I, I knew I needed it um I think when you fast forward today and you think about how important the mental side of life not just basketball, um, but especially in sports and the kind of the stigma that's around it and, and getting help in the area. Uh, I'm glad that that's being broken because it's something that has, needs to be addressed and a lot of people deal with it and a lot of people need that type of help. I, and my honest opinion is that we all do for some reason. Absolutely. We, all go through, we all go through things in life that the Bible talks about it and says that you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, right? So there's certain things that you have to speak out of your mouth before you can overcome them. And, um, and so I think at the time it, it wasn't that situation where it was really available for me. I wasn't even searching for it. People weren't asking me about it. Um, it but I was able to, to make it through mentally. At first I was really crushed, but I think because of my support system, I was really able to bounce back from that mentally. Yeah, that support system is huge in grounding yourself in something outside of your sport because we know sport is temporary. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's very temporary. And I think understanding that is so important. I actually talked to one of my teammates about this right before I came home um, because I think a lot of times for athletes, we're celebrated in some ways, you know, when you're in high school and then you go to college and you have this fan base and what the pandemic has done is it's taken all that affirmation and all that celebration away. And so all these people are out here wondering, like, do I really like identify with this? Is this because I don't have any fulfillment in this. You, you get fulfilled when you're sure when you're for the 7,000 people and they're screaming your name and they're cheering you on every single week, it does something to you. And it might even do it just to your ego, right? Right. There's like this boost, but when you lose that and you realize like, hey, we're playing this sport, but I put my whole identity into this sport. But when this sport is gone, who am I actually, you know? 
And that's the most important question to know is who am I outside of this? If all this was stripped away from me tomorrow, what value do I add to the world? Where's the value that lies in me intrinsically that I can still have an impact in my community, in my environment? So to your point, that is the most important thing um, to understand. Great segue into who you are outside of sports. So once you're done playing, what are your next steps? That's a great question. Um, I've been working on that a lot, actually. Um, so my actual, my number one desire, passion is to speak. I, I have a heart of, to speak. I have a heart of communicating, right? I love communicating with people, um, but I also love impacting people. I always thought it was so crazy as a kid how someone could speak a word and it could literally transform someone's life. Like a word, if you just think like they just say something and then it resonates so deeply in their spirit that their life changes, you know? Um, and I, I love seeing people get hope. I love seeing people grow and mature. I love seeing people like light up, you know? and finding their passion, finding their gifting, finding their purpose. So my message, it would be that, actually the message that we just talked about, who are you outside of what you do? You know, because those are two different things. And for us as athletes, basketball is a talent that God has given us, but you have to understand the gift that's been placed inside of you. Basketball, like you said, is very temporary. The gift can never be taken away from you. God gives it without repentance. No matter what you decide to do with it, it's gonna be there. And that gift will make room for you in this world when you begin to understand what it is. And so that message there is what I want to do uh, when I'm done. Actually, not even when I'm done. I just decided recently that you need to start speaking this now. You don't have to wait till you get done playing basketball to talk with people about this. Or it doesn't have to be that you have to be in front of a room of a thousand people to make an impact, you know. And so it's re the reason I started an empowerment group is like a mentorship group with young men. Mm -hmm. On Zoom, on Sundays, we just meet, we talk about these things. Who am I? What's my gift? How can I use it? How do I move in the, in the path of purpose? Um, and so that's what I want to do full time when I get done playing. Yes. And you know what? Um, you know, you talked about speaking a word and it can make an impact on people's lives. I mean, the God who created us, our God, he spoke it into existence. So words have power. We have creative power with our words. And so it's important to um, speak life into every situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, words can create your reality. That, that's 100%. And, and I think a lot of times we don't understand the magnitude of the words that we speak. Like we literally speak sickness into our body. You know, we speak um, all these different things. We'll say, oh, I'm... I just feel so down or I feel and, so and, and not to say that you can't, yeah, I'm so tired and not to say that you can't be realistic about feelings because, you know, obviously feelings and emotions are there for a reason, but also to understand the power and the ability that you have to create, you know, for example, I always, all, me personally, I always used to say to people, I don't have a creative bone in my body. There's nothing creative about me. I, I'm not artistic. I don't, you know, do anything and uh, I, I don't have any creative juices. And then when I was reading Genesis, because I'm reading the Bible with my family uh, for the year, and the, actually the very first thing that we see about God in Genesis 1-1 one, one 
is that he created it. It says, in the beginning, God created. That's the first thing that you learn about God is that he's a creator. And then you go down and you find that he says, I made you in my image. So if you made me in your image, and the very first thing you tell about me is that you created, that means that I have the same ability to create, right? And I think a lot of times we don't know that and our words is such a powerful tool by which we create, you know, whether we create life or whether we create death. So I just came into that knowledge recently. And so I've been very particular about uh, not just the words that I speak just out in general, but the words that I speak over my own life, the words of affirmation that I say over me. And when I talk about other people, you know, because people could accept that word and that could they could run with that for the rest of their life. Words are seeds. Yeah, it's like planting seeds. And um, but yeah, I, I like to refer to myself as a co-creator with God. Co-creator. That's great. I'm still that. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> But it's the truth, though. It's the truth. And just the fact that you understand that speaks very deeply to the fact that you know who you are, you know, and, and I think the problem is that most people don't understand who they are. There's people that make money and are successful, have businesses, have no idea who they are. If, they, if, all, that th if all those things were to be stripped from them, would they still be able to find meaning in life? Would, would we still be able to find our purpose? I'm reading a book right now, A Man's Search for Meaning. It's about a Holocaust survivor. And it's basically talking about a man who had everything stripped from him. And then he was put into this concentration camp. Doctor, very, very uh, well-established man, very well-respected. And then all those things were taken from him. And he talks about his, per his journey of how he was still able to find purpose when the only thing that he was in these camps was a number. He didn't have a name. They didn't even they didn't even say his name. He was 012-447 or whatever. And he says that he was still able to find meaning in life. And I think that that is one awesome, but two, such a lesson for us. If everything that we knew was to be stripped from us, right? Titles, job, position, power, influence, would you still be able to find meaning? You know, so a good lesson and definitely one that's fruitful about. Yeah, I think this time has given everyone an opportunity to explore that. You know, we've all um, have been in a position to where kind of the, the playing field has been leveled or a lot of the playing fields have been leveled in so many different ways. And you have to figure out, okay, you know, I can't travel. I can't go do this. I can't go do that. Um, finances have even been rocked. So it's like, all right, well, what now? Can I still find happiness and joy um, and peace in the midst of chaos? Yeah, that, that is the truth. Because for, for us, for example, we're really on lockdown. There's not really anything open. There's no stores, no restaurants. None of that's open, you know? So all you really have is like yourself. <laughs> you have yourself and maybe the, the people that are a few people that are around you. Um, but it's, it's given a lot of time to ponder, to think. Um, and I just feel like that's one of those questions that everyone asks. My, I have a theory that everyone is subconsciously or consciously in search of God. The, the things that we, the voids that we have in our life, the holes that are in our life, the things that we try to fill with those, 
what we're actually looking for and the fulfillment that we actually need is what God gives to us. And I think that it's not that everyone understands that, but everyone is searching for it. I agree that God size hold, they can only be filled by God. That's a fact. All right. So uh, you've been playing for so long. How, how do you take care of your body to be able to continue to perform at such a high level? Man, that's, that's uh, one of the most important things for me now is because, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're like 18, 19 years old, you go out on the court, you don't do anything, you can dunk immediately, you know, you just move it all fluid. No, it's not like that. I'm like, hey, let, let me hit this yoga for a minute. <laughs> deep breathing. Let me get into these stretches. You know, let me do these hip cars. And, and so I think for me, it's just really about attention to detail. You know, I have a plan um, of things that I have to do. They're a more knee-dominated um, hip strengthening, strengthening a lot with my feet. Just things that people who aren't my age probably don't even have to think about, but should, honestly. And after practice, the same type of routine, the cool down, you know, um, I do a lot of like deep breathing in the morning, um, awareness of breath, conscious breathing, which is really good. And then, like I said, a lot of, a lot of cars, a lot of mobility, uh, flexibility type of things. So my body is my, my money maker. And um, I put a lot more emphasis on it now than I did when I was young, because sometimes you don't you don't go after the things that you feel you don't need, you know, until you're like, hey, I need that. Um, when I have kids, like if I had a son that plays basketball, he'll be doing this early and because you also don't know what you don't know. So I coming into the knowledge of it. It's just like, I wish I knew this earlier because I, I could have been using this for preventative maintenance <laughs> as opposed, you know, now I'm old, I got to do this stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that's really what I do. I just have a really long routine before games, before practices, after practices to, to really take care of myself. And how's your nutrition and your sleep habits? Yeah. So my sleep is, uh, I'm the type of person that doesn't need so much sleep, but for me, seven hours of sleep is, is what I'm going to, where I'm going to feel good. Um, and that, that's important. I saw LeBron say something about his sleep. Uh, maybe a few years ago, like, hey, this is the most important thing that I do is I have to get my sleep. And so a lot of times what I do is like if I sleep that long in the night, then I'll also have a nap sometime during the day because we have morning practice and we have afternoon practice. So maybe in total, I have eight and a half hours of sleep for the day or something like that. Um, and then my nutrition is OK. I, I did the the vegan thing for a while, mm -hmm. uh, which wasn't bad. I mean, it. It actually wasn't so difficult for me, um, but I just like cut out all fast foods, junk foods. I don't eat so much red meat, um, but I do things, I guess, a lot more in moderation. But actually, it's probably a, an area that I could still take steps forward in to, to be better. All right. Last thing before we get off, what are some things that you would tell younger athletes who aspire to play at a college level or even a professional level? And then also, talk about at the pro level the different options and not to like turn your nose up at different opportunities that are outside of the NBA yeah um the first thing that I would tell younger athletes is maximize every opportunity right so like we were talking about earlier the fact that we can 
have this conversation, the fact that we breathe, we have air in our lungs. Um, for athletes, you have the ability to run and jump and shoot and, or catch a football or whatever it is. Don't take that for granted. There are people in hospitals all over the world that are begging God for the opportunity to do the things that we take for granted every single day. So if, if God has equipped you with the talent, right, or even just a passion to play the game, then you go at that with everything that you have, you know. Every single day that you wake up, determine your mind, set goals for the day, like small wins. That, that's that's my thing. Small wins. I don't have to think about in 10 years, I'll be here. Now, if you, if you can win the day every day in these small little consistent habits, then when you look up in three months, you're like, man, I, ha I got a lot accomplished, you know. And so set small goals for yourself so that you can grow every single day in your craft, right? so that you work on the things that you're not good at and then really strengthen the areas that you're really good at that you're that you're strong at um so that would be the first thing i would i would tell young athletes i also tell them be willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do if you really want to separate yourself that's what you have to do and i remember when i was in high school there came a point in my high school career where my the people that were around me got into everything you know like they wanted to do drugs and they my guys wanted to gangbang and you know people really wanted to party and even at that age I was really like I'm trying to go to the gym you know like I I'm trying to shoot shots I'm not really trying to do none of that uh, and I was I got that rep as like the hooper he's like hey he doesn't do that he hoops you know <laughs> um, so I think even in that, you know, you have to be willing to sacrifice some things, but you really have to be willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. Because when it comes to sports, sports is very competitive. And you think that you're competing with a couple of people, you're competing with hundreds of thousands of kids for one spot at one university. So anything that you can do to separate yourself is going to be something that you have to do in order to get to where you want to go. So that would be something else that I would tell younger kids. And then the the last thing was um, talk about the different options outside of the NBA and and oh, not right, turning right. your nose up. You know, grow where you're planted. The, the thing is, um, you want to go where you're wanted. Obviously, the goal for a lot of kids is, hey, I want to go D1, I want to go Power 5, which is fine. Um, but one, the, the difference in these schools is shrinking. If you watch the NCAA year after year after year, all you see is upset after upset after upset mid-major, small major, being high major every single year. And it happens more frequently every year now because the talent, the pool of talent is so vast that there are kids that end up at mid-majors that are great players or they end up small, even at D2 and D3. And I can even speak more to that from an overseas standpoint. Nobody cares about that over here. Nobody. You don't know. Like you play people who he's the best player on his team. And then if you look him up after the game, like, oh, he played D3 because he was committed to cultivating his gift, his cultivating his talent, right? So sure, he played D2, but he continued to get better year after year after year. And at some point, reality is most people don't. Some people get, most people get complacent. You know, mm -hmm. that ah, I'm a professional now, so, you know, I'm good. It's the people that are hungry to always do more, to be more, you know, to add more value and add more substance to their life. And that has nothing to do with what school you go to. So I would say if you're a young kid and, and there's a D3 school that wants you 
and you're going to be able to go there and have school paid for and have an opportunity, do that. Because if your goal is to go overseas, that's not going to keep you from going overseas. Only you are going to keep yourself from making those things happen in your life. But it's not going to matter if you went D3, D1, D2, NAIA. I've seen everybody's here. Everyone that plays overseas comes from everywhere. Um, but it's just the people that are determined to get to where they want to go. That's the only thing that matters. Now, if people want to find you or contact you, how can they locate you? Oh, yeah. So you can locate me on Twitter. Uh, my name on Twitter is forever, J.A. Young. Um, I also have an Instagram that is J-A-Y-O-8 underscore at the end. So J-O-8 underscore. Uh, and then I'm Josh Young on Facebook. Um, but if you find one of those links, you're probably going to find all of those links. Uh, I'm around. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to, to follow. I'm also on Clubhouse now. The name on Clubhouse? Young Hearted. Young Hearted. Thank you for tuning in today. And a special thank you to my guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. To learn about the sports performance, rehab, and wellness services provided by Dr. Tierra, please go to www.thetntfect.com. You can also send questions to info at thetntfect.com. And remember, a healthy athlete is a whole athlete.